Thank you very much. As Neil said, it's the final part of our series journey to the cross. Do you know I had a hassle this morning? It's, it's always the way, isn't it? When you're in a bit of a hurry. I, to, be, to be fair, I did get up late, so I was running late. I get down to the car park, and of course, you've got to pay now, haven't you? And um, so there was a couple at the uh, machine, and I said, is this easy to use? They said, yes. And they stood there, and the car didn't work. They tapped, it didn't work. So they took it out, they stuck it in, they typed, it didn't work. They took it out again. And I'm sort of thinking, I'm late already. Thank you, Anne, for bailing me out. Someone very kind. Anne offered to very kindly do it for me. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for God's people, eh? Anyway, so the final part of our series, Journey to the Cross. I'm going to be speaking from Psalm 110, as Neil said. The title that has been given is Prayer for the King. So it's seven verses, so here we go. Psalm 110 of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. Well, what a wonderful psalm, and there's some slightly tricky things in there that hopefully will become less tricky by the time I've finished. In the New Testament, this is the most referred to and quoted part of the Old Testament. So you'll find Matthew recording Jesus himself, quoting it about himself. The gospel writers Mark and Luke refer to it. So do the apostles Peter and Paul and the writer to the Hebrews. So it would indicate that it's a pretty important passage telling us about the Savior, the Messiah. It tells us something about what he's like, what he's going to do. And as we look at this through the lens of Jesus, we're going to see some wonderful things, I hope. So I'm going to look at three aspects this morning, simply. Jesus the King... Jesus the priest, Jesus the conqueror. So that's where we're heading. Jesus the king, Jesus the priest, Jesus the conqueror. So let's have a look at the the first part, Jesus the king. Let's have a look at what it says in verse 1. Let's see if we can unpick some of this. Verse 1 of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, it's interesting that when Jesus was around, walking on planet Earth, that often the religious leaders of the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, would try and test him. They wanted to have something that they could hang on him and acute questions to see. So they would ask him what they thought were really difficult questions to see if they could trip him up. So on one occasion they asked, well, what, what's the greatest commandment? On another occasion they asked him should we pay taxes to Caesar or not and another one the Sadducees who didn't believe 
in the resurrection, this is how hypocritical they were. They asked Jesus a question about a woman who had become a widow seven times and had married seven times, obviously. And they asked Jesus, well, whose wife is she going to be at the time of the resurrection? Well, Jesus smashed all these uh, questions out of the park, obviously, because you know, his wisdom was beyond measure. And he turns the tables on them and he asks them, them a question and he quotes from this psalm. He says this in Matthew's gospel, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now traditionally they're going to say he's the son of David, which is what they did say. So then Jesus says to them, how is it then that David speaking by the spirit calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord, in other words, God, said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus then goes on to say to them, if then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Because David would not refer to uh, his son as Lord. That just would not happen. So Jesus is really pinning them against the wall here. And it says no one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. David calls the Messiah Lord. So he can't be David's son. See, at that time, people were expecting some kind of political warrior leader who would free them from the yoke of the Romans. But Jesus points to someone greater. So Jesus is saying to them that they need to extend the boundaries of their thinking. He is greater than their thinking and he still is today. Many today will accept that Jesus was a great religious teacher. If I went into the streets of Wickham, probably they would accept he was a a minimum of, certainly a huge proportion of our community would accept him as a prophet. But actually Jesus is greater than that. And people don't seem to be willing to accept the testimony of the gospel writers. How can you say that Jesus is the only way to God, people would ask, for example. And yet the Apostle John gives us a glimpse of the fact that Jesus is even greater than we can fully grasp. And I don't think he's exaggerating when he records in the very final sentence of his gospel. Or Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that not even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So Jesus, in this, by quoting this psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord God said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand. Sit at my right hand. Well, what's the significance of sitting at my right hand? Well, to sit at the right hand is a position of power and authority equal with God. Now, David goes on in verse 2 to say, The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, a king or queen, as we probably know, holds a scepter. It's a symbol of power. Here's a picture of our queen with her scepter, which was handed to her at her coronation. It's that stick, by the way, okay, that she's holding in her right hand. That's a scepter, just in case you're wondering. And when it was handed to the queen at her coronation, the archbishop said, and I think it echoes of this psalm that we've been reading, he he said this to her, receive the rod of equity and mercy. Be so merciful that you be not too remiss, 
So execute justice that you forget not mercy, punish the wicked, protect and cherish the just, and lead your people in the way wherein they should go. Well, that's a very interesting thing to say to her. Echoes of this psalm, I suspect. Our queen, as we know, she doesn't have much power compared to the kings and queens of old. But Jesus, on the other hand, what does he hold? He holds a mighty scepter. It's a mighty scepter. And it signifies his power and authority as king. And the role of the king is this. The role of the king is to represent God to the people. He is to reflect God's qualities and characteristics and commands to the people. He represents God's authority. But look what it says also in verse 2. It says, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter. From where? From Zion. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. So here's Jesus. He's at the right hand. He's in the position of power and authority. He has a mighty scepter and he extends it from where? He extends it from Zion. Now in the days the psalm was written, Zion would have been the city of David, i.e. Jerusalem. But now Zion has got a greater fulfillment. And we can read about the greater fulfillment of Zion in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 where the writer tells us, you've come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels. In joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn. Whose names are written in heaven. So in other words the writer to the Hebrews is saying that Zion now includes both heaven and earth. It includes, he talks about many angels and he talks about the church of the firstborn. Well who's the firstborn? Well the firstborn is Christ. So it's the church of Christ. So there's a meeting here in Zion of both heaven and earth. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that thrilling? Isn't that amazing? That the Lord is going to extend his mighty scepter from where? From Zion. Both heaven and earth. Wow. When we look around, we don't feel as if we're part of that mighty scepter, do we? And yet God has chosen us to be part of the mighty scepter. The gathering of both heaven and earth. Heaven directs. And the followers of Jesus go into battle. Do you know we're in a battle? But not against flesh and blood. Do you sometimes feel you're in a battle? Do you feel even today or even this week you've been in a battle? Maybe it's been a battle within the family. I don't mean fighting with your family but things going on in the family that are difficult. You're finding it difficult how to manage it. It's a bit of a battle, emotionally, sometimes. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that a cloud of depression comes upon me. It's like a sort of a dark cloud of oppression comes upon me. And I think, well, where's that come from? Why do I feel like this? I'm in a battle. Or maybe there's temptation that comes, and we're, we're trying to resist. And maybe we fail from time to time. We're in a battle, but not against flesh and blood. The king... Extends his mighty scepter from Zion. Isn't it amazing to think that the Lord entrusts us with something of his power, with something of his glory he entrusts to the church? It's such a precious thing. Think about it, you and me. Who are we that the Lord should give us something of his mighty scepter? 
you will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. And the king issues commands. Well, here's some of them, one of them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus holds a mighty scepter. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is his command. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Why, I'm really excited that at Easter time, we're going to be baptizing people here. We're going to be baptizing people up in Hazelmere as well. As part of the extension of the kingdom of God, as Jesus uses his mighty scepter. It's, it's a battle, but it's a different kind of battle. The weapons are different. It's not, uh, I don't need a tank, I don't need a gun with bullets. No, we've got other weapons that we can use. The weapons of prayer. The weapons of perseverance, the weapons of love, the weapons of truth, the weapons of faith that the Lord gives us as we go into battle. And I'm very excited that we're going to have people getting baptized. And it signifies something as well about the fact that the kingdom of darkness is failing. Hallelujah. The kingdom of darkness is failing and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God is advancing in the battle. It maybe doesn't feel like it from time to time. Maybe we feel as if we're on the losing side. But as we're going to see later on, that's not the case. The Lord will extend his mighty scepter from Zion. And Jesus delegates authority. Wow. Isn't that amazing to think that the Lord delegates authority to you? Hello. The Lord del- if you accept Jesus as Lord and Christ in your life, then Jesus has delegated you some authority. Wow. It's incredible. Who am I? The Lord should even deign to look at me, let alone delegate some authority to me. Wow. Thank you, Lord. How amazing you are. All authority, Jesus says, has been given to me in heaven on earth. Wow. We look at the state of the world and we despair at times, don't we? But all authority is given to him. It's heading in his direction, but I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Jesus, the king, all authority with a mighty scepter, which he extends from Zion. You and I are involved in that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus issues commands. And one of the commands is to bring his light and his gospel into the furthest reaches of the world. Praise God. Praise God that we're involved in that as well. The Lord has called us as King's Church High Wycombe to be involved in mission both here in our local community and also further afield into the world. Praise the Lord. Who would have believed it when seven people met together in 15 Hill Farm Way in Hazelmere that even the Lord was going to use us to extend his kingdom both near and far. It's incredible. It's amazing. And you know what? We haven't finished the journey yet either. There's more to come. Maybe the Lord is going to call you to do something. Are you hearing the call of the Lord, perhaps? Maybe the Lord is already stirring you, or maybe even this morning the Lord may stir you about something that you could be involved in. We're doing a little project here in the future called the King's Table. And the King's Table is going to involve uh, helping street people, people who are living out on the street, in order to bring them into the kingdom. Wow, what a challenge that is. How are we going to reach the Muslim community? Wow, what a challenge that is. And yet the Lord calls us to be part of what he's doing to bring the light of his gospel so that people will come out of the kingdom of darkness and come into his kingdom of marvelous light. The Lord will extend his mighty scepter. He's already done it and he does it throughout the world. And nothing is going to thwart his purposes and no one is going to thwart his purposes because all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Whatever the appearances are like, all authority belongs to Christ in heaven and on earth. 
So Jesus is the king. Let's make no mistake about that. When we look at the mess that the world is in, still look to see that Jesus is the king and it will fulfill his purposes. Jesus is also the priest. The second point I want to make, verse 4. And this is a bit tricky as well, so I hope I can explain it in a way that makes more sense. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And just before I came downstairs this morning, I thought, I'll just look up Melchizedek again. I've been looking up this week. I thought, I'll just check. Check my notes and check what the Bible says. And there's only two verses, as far as I can see, in the book of Genesis about Melchizedek. He's this puzzling figure. He suddenly appears to Abraham. And Abraham gives him a tithe and Abraham pays him homage. And then he disappears and that's it. That's all we hear about him. But it says two things about him as well. He's... He's king of Salem, this Melchizedek, and he's also priest of the Most High God. So he's a strange figure. Don't know a lot about him. But in the book of Hebrews, the the writer starts to explain the significance of this mysterious Melchizedek figure who is both a king of Salem, he's a king, and he's also a priest. He's a priest of the Most High God. So he explains it in the book of Hebrews by saying that Melchizedek came before the law and the priesthood. Because to be a priest in Israel, after the law was formed, you had to be a Levite. You had to be from the tribe of Levi. Now, Melchizedek is not from the tribe of Levi. Nothing is said about his tribe. And then the writer to the Hebrews says, well, Christ is not also, he's not from the tribe of Levi. So in other words, his, his priesthood is not based on his ancestry, the fact that he belongs to this tribe. And in those days as well, in the Old Testament, kings were kings And priests were priests. They didn't, you know, kings weren't priests and priests weren't kings. A king was a king and a priest was a priest. So it was very unusual and strange to talk about Melchizedek being a king and a priest. And the book of Hebrews then says, aha, the point is this. He's a kind of prefiguring Christ. He's like a shadow figure that points to Christ, who is both king and priest. And his priesthood is not based on his ancestry. Melchizedek's wasn't. And neither is Christ's. But Christ's priesthood is based on the fact that he has an indestructible life. That's what it's based on. So Jesus is described as a priest. Here, the point, and the point of the psalm is that the king as well represents strength and judgment. On the other hand, the priest represents love and mercy. So on the one hand, we have the king, strength, judgment, power, authority, And on the other hand, we have the priest, love and mercy, and interceding and representing you and me to God. The king issuing the commands, the priest representing us, us weak, sometimes foolish, mortal people. He represents us to God, the lion and the lamb. I love the fact we sang that this morning. It's got such a huge... A river of truth in it. The lion and the lamb. And even now, Jesus is fulfilling the priestly role in representing us before a holy God. It's interesting that as he's about to be stoned to death, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, it tells us in Acts, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Jesus, both king and priest, standing in the position of extreme authority 
and yet interceding for his people. As the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans, Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, where is he? He tells us he's at the right hand of God. And what's he doing? He's also interceding for us. So Jesus here, a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Powerful king and priest. I want us now to take a moment when we give our lives some thought. I want to ask you a few questions. What's troubling you in your life? If anything. Maybe you haven't got any troubles in. (laughs) Praise the Lord. What's troubling you in your life? What are the main difficulties you're facing in your life right now? Maybe it is a family situation. Maybe it's finances. Perhaps it's a health issue. Maybe it's work. Some difficulties at work or lack of work or... Maybe it's emotional turbulence. I talked about clouds of depression sometimes I get. Praise the Lord, they don't last long, but they do come from time to time. What are the things that might be keeping you awake at night? I wonder what was the first thing that came into your mind. Now what I want us to do, I want us to see Jesus as both king with power and authority. Power and authority to change things. Power and authority to uphold us. He upholds the universe. He can uphold you and me. But also to see him as priest. As the one who's not emotionally detached from your situation. But one who is fully involved. Watching, caring, representing you to a holy God. Praying for you, interceding for you. Can I encourage each one of us here today that those things that sometimes trouble us or maybe the thing that came to your mind first of all that we continually, not just this occasion but we continually just bring that to the Lord when it troubles us and say, Lord, maybe you can't change it. And and often that's the most frustrating thing, isn't it? That you feel powerless to do anything about it. Maybe there are some things that we can, you know, we can do. We could apply for another job, for example, if our job's troubling us. But sometimes there are things that we can't change. I just encourage each one of us just to present it to the king and the great high priest. Because he loves us. I commit that situation, Lord Jesus, into your hands. So Jesus is king, Jesus is priest, and Jesus is conqueror. Joy and I, a couple of weeks ago, we went on a short trip to Warsaw in Poland. And the reason we did that was because it was a present, I think it was for me, which was rather nice, Christmas, I'm not sure, and the family all joined together and that kind of thing. And uh, because I am interested in history, certain aspects, and so we went there and uh, we went on a tour of the old Jewish ghetto. The ghetto that was there during the Second World War. And you still see fragments of the wall that was built. And we went on a a tour and uh, it was all explained to us about what happened. And it was very, very interesting and tragic. Tragic. 
a tragic part of our human history. We see a lot of evil in the world, both historically and today we see people treated in an inhuman manner, slavery, even in our own country. I know there's concern now about people who wash cars, and I'm not sure, I'm not saying that everybody who washes a car is a slave, but I know there's a concern about slavery in our own nation, and nations warring in past struggles. It seems as if evil's got the upper hand. The planet being greedily exploited and precious ecosystems being destroyed, rainforests, coral reefs, and endangered animals being killed for profit. And, and we look at the state of the world and we can despair. You know, we, we, where's God in all this? Why isn't he doing something about it? Where is he? Does he care? Does he even exist? We can be tempted to think and dismiss God. Well, he's not relevant to what's going on. In fact, it's his fault because he's not intervening to do something. But we need to bear in mind a few things. First thing is this. We need to bear in mind God's patience. He's patient. The apostle Peter tells us the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Well, I'll tell you what, I am personally very, very glad that God is patient. Thank you, Lord. Wow. You're patient with me. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, love is is patient. So God's patience is, is reserving almost his final judgments because he wants people to come to know him. Second thing is his perspective is infinitely greater than mine. Sometimes I'm tempted to think that I know better than the Lord. I know better than you, Lord. And the reason I know better than you is because you should be doing it like this. And you should be doing it in my time frame. You know, how arrogant is that really? We live in a very time-constrained life, don't we? I wonder how many times a day I look at the time. Or check my calendar, see what's coming up and what commitments I've got. We celebrate significant milestones in life. Birthdays measured in years. Anniversaries measured in decades. History measured in centuries. Peter tells us with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. Very different perspective, isn't it? Now, I get very excited about different things. And one of the things I get excited about is when there are nice, interesting discoveries in space. And you may have noticed that was a very interesting, exciting discovery in space this week even. In fact, when I was writing this, it was all, oh, there we are. Did, did anybody else see that picture during the week in the internet or on the newspapers? Yeah, yeah. It's a, a black hole. And uh, it's amazing there. And the, one of the guys who led the project, said that. He said, we enable scientists and engineers to illuminate the unknown, to reveal the subtle and complex majesty of our universe. Wow. I was really thrilled when I read that. And I thought, wow, this is our God. He spoke that black hole into being. That's just incredible to think it, isn't it? By the way, it's 6.5 billion times more massive than our sun. Not only that, it's 55 million light years away. I find my mind can't cope with that information. And yet the Lord spoke it into being. His perspective is very different from mine. Who am I to say, you didn't do it in my time frame. You didn't do it the way I thought you should. Therefore, you're not good. 
How arrogant and stupid is that? Our God is greater, we sing. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. So when we look at the state of the world, we think, well, why is God not doing anything about it? Third thing I want to say is there will be justice, even though it doesn't appear that way now. It's interesting that we've all got a sense of fairness, haven't we? Referee! How many times do you hear that? Referee! Why do people shout out referee like that? They shout out, referee! Because they think something's happened that's not fair. You know, if you've got children or you've seen children, sometimes children will say, it's not fair. It's not fair. He got that and I didn't. It's not fair. We all have inbuilt into us a sense of fairness, a sense of justice. Interestingly enough, on the top of the Central Criminal Court in London called the Old Bailey, there's a statue that is meant to represent justice. Impartial. Hence the scales, weighing up the evidence. And executing judgment, hence the sword. Well, God's judgment, unlike human judgment, will be perfectly righteous. Verse 6 of the psalm says this, He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead, and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Boy, if that doesn't send the fear of God into us, I don't know what will. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead, and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. There's a finality about God's judgment because it will be perfect. And all opposition to him will be utterly crushed and never rise again. Not much wonder it's described elsewhere in the Old Testament as the great and dreadful day of the Lord. There's going to be a finality about it. However, if we go back in the psalm to verse 3, He writes, your troops will be willing on your day of battle. The Lord is enlisting us into his battle. And he's he's saying, you will be willing. God's going to do something in us that will make us willing. Praise the Lord. I am not, I have to say, naturally willing. I am naturally unwilling. I am naturally stubborn. I am naturally resistant to what God wants to do in my life. That is my natural state of being. And it requires something powerful to happen within me in order to make me willing. But fortunately, God is very generous and gracious and kind. And he puts his spirit within us. He puts his spirit. And when his spirit comes into our hearts and into our thinking, something happens. And my stubbornness begins to erode. My unwillingness begins to change. Into willingness. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes and softens and does something in my heart and breaks down my resistance. How does He do it? How does He do it by His Spirit? He does it because He sheds abroad in my heart His love. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, I would be extremely stubborn, extremely resistant, extremely unwilling to what God wants to do in my life if it wasn't for His Spirit. So would you. You would be exactly the same. In fact, maybe you're in that position right now. Stubborn. Resisting. Unwilling. And yet God comes by his spirit as we heard this morning. He comes as the lion with all authority and the lamb. Gentle and kind and gracious. Because he loves us. And he comes and he puts his spirit within us when we receive him as Lord and Savior. And something happens in us. The psalmist writes it in that way. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle 
arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. What a beautiful picture that is of that willingness and the holiness of God, the right in you of Christ being upon us. Thank you, Lord, that you're willing to enlist us in what you want to do in your great purposes. Thank you, Lord, that you, you want to make us willing. Thank you, Lord, that you want to clothe us in your righteousness. Thank you so much. I was reading a book by Phil Greenslade. He wrote bits and pieces on different psalms. And about this psalm, he wrote this. It is not for us to decide whether the Lord is king or not. We have only to decide whether we stand with God's enemies among whom he rules or whether, as willing recruits, we volunteer freely to enlist in his cause. Have you enlisted in his cause? And perhaps it's something that we need to do on a daily basis as well. My people will be willing on the day of my power. Are you willing today? Are you willing to follow Jesus. So although it looks as if things are out of control, when we look at the state of the world, God's purposes will ultimately be worked out. And I love this, the way the psalmist finishes the psalm in verse 7. He says, he, describing the Messiah, will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. Wow. What's that all about? Well, it speaks to me of a refreshing new beginning full of bright vision. If you lift your head high, if you lift your head high, it speaks to me of confidence and vision. If you lift your head high, you can see further. If you're like this, if you lift your head high, you look with confidence and you have vision. And the Bible speaks about that very new beginning as well. It started with the resurrection of Christ. And it's going to end with death will be destroyed. Evil will be destroyed. Sorrow and sign will flee away. Instead of a creation at war, there will be peace. Instead of a discordant creation, there will be harmony. And at the very center will be the king and priest, the conqueror. The lion and the lamb, Jesus Christ. On Palm Sunday, which is today, I understand, I asked Alexa this week, just to check. On Palm Sunday, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He came as a king, would, except he came as a different kind of king. Kings did not ride on donkeys. He came as a king who would sacrifice his life for even those who hated him. Amazing grace. Let's see Jesus again as who he is. The king of all the earth. Our great high priest. Who sacrificed his life for us. But now he's exalted to the place of supreme authority. The lion and the lamb. And Jesus, he, listen. He is well able to crush any opposition. Yet at the same time he's a merciful and patient high priest. Who even now from that position of power prays for you and me. As we come to break bread. And perhaps the band could come back up at this point and kneel. As we come to break bread. Take communion together. Let's reaffirm the fact. Or maybe do it for the first time. That we are willing followers. In the day of his power. Amen. Amen. Amen.